Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... All right. Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast. This is episode 18. I am very excited. Um, I've been uh, really looking forward to this episode for a while. Um, I, I don't want to steal their thunder, but I've got Vic Pepe. I've got Jay Bradley. Um, I, uh, like I said, don't want to steal your thunder. So whoever wants to go first, uh, Vic or Jay, just let's let, I know everybody knows who you are already, but <laughs> let's give some intros and then we'll go from there. Vic, go for it. Sure thing. Hey guys, Vic Pepe here. It's, uh, Zach, thanks for having us both on this, uh, podcast. We're really excited to participate in it. Um, my background is, you know, I came out of corporate technology. I worked for some big banks and Wall Street firms. And seven years ago, I made the leap into the channel head first. Uh, I partnered with Stephen Gerhardt at DNM Enterprise Group to, to get my MBA in channel, so to speak. And through that introduction, met Jay Bradley, folks, you know, throughout the industry. Um, been at it seven years, growing our company like gangbusters, doing some great things, which you'll hear about later. Uh, but uh, excited. It's never a better time to be in the channel. I feel like the luckiest guy in the universe in the best business in the universe. I mean that sincerely. I love our business. I love the partnerships. I love the partners and I love serving clients. So again, I'm a, I'm a lucky SOB. Jay, it's all you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So I, I, I had an incredible 18 year run at Intellisys. Um, going from a small, probably 15 person shop and building it into a 300 person, you know, just crazy effective, um, you know, master agent turned telecom and services distributor. And it was just unbelievable. I mean, it was just an unbelievable, unbelievable ride really because of the people. It was funny. I mean, I can I, I summed it all up for myself because I took a two I took two years off with my non compete, and folks said, "What would it take to get you back in the game?" And I said, "Well, at this point, it's all about the people. You know, that's what made Intellisys so special, and and how we were able to deliver so much magic to our partners. You know, we built a culture that genuinely focused on the people. That was our first priority. It wasn't our needs; it was their needs." You know, it wasn't our wants and desires. It was their wants and desires. And people got to know us that way and believed it. Um, they believed we truly had their best interests at heart, even over our own. And that's what made it such a magical run. But anyway, so when Vic uh, and Steve Gerhardt came along and said, hey, we're going to start this new venture and uh, create a holding company to, to bring some partners together, recreate some of that magic um, and deliver a higher valuation than they could ever imagine. Um, I was very interested. So uh, last October, I, I joined the Capteon team and one of my best friends in the world, Steve Gerhardt, and gotten to know Vic very well at this point too. So anyway, so that's that, that's kind of my official capacity here. And um, I could certainly reflect on back on a lot of all the good stuff that happens at Intellisys. So that's, that's my story in a, in a nutshell. Love it. So I got to know, where did the name Intellisys come from? Great question. Um, Rick and Rick, meaning Rick Deller and Rick Sheldon, for those who have been around for a while, actually started the company with another guy named Rick. So there were actually three Ricks. Um, they um, initially wanted to call it Intellicom. And for whatever fate of luck, um, the name wasn't available. And so they said, you know, Intellisys actually seems to cover more ground. Mm. And uh, it was available. And so Intellisys was born. And then part of that funny story, funny for some, not funny for others, <laughs> the third wreck about a year in said, you know, I don't think this business is really going to fly. He was a hardware guy. He says, 
you know, you you guys go ahead. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna drop out and go back to my hardware world. Mm. Um, so anyway, the third Rick didn't make it beyond the first year, but yeah, Intellisys was the the name that they came up with instead of Intellicom and got real lucky. And uh, we we had a lot of fun with that name over the years. Nice. And what year was that? God, that was when they first started the company. That was 94. I think it was December of 94. Wow. And what were yeah. you doing at the time, Vic? 94? Oh, I was in the music business. Yeah, that's right. I was writing songs with Alice Cooper. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, to truth be told, we had, uh, you know, I got my technology career went on. Uh, it was a bit delayed from a run in the music business. So I was a writer, producer, engineer. Um, you Google my discography. I've got 54 songs out there with various artists, films, television shows from, you know, you're not old enough to know this, Zach, but there was a show out there called Doogie Howser, MD. Heard of it. You might, you might cult follow the RoboCop movies. I had some songs in that, but my, I guess the pinnacle of my writing and producing was I worked with Alice Cooper in the, in the early part of the nineties. Great. And, uh, had a good time, had a lot of success yeah. and a lot of stories and, um, <clears throat> it's, all, it's all part of the magic that it is today where, you know, you, whether you're creating things for people to listen to, or you're creating technology solutions for people ever, you know, it, it's a, it's all a creative outlet. Why well, I love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I was finishing up a 10 year run with MCI in 94. I left at the beginning of 95, went to a fun business in the callback industry up in Northern California. So we moved the family from Huntington Beach up in Mill Valley and had a blast in that business. That was fun. That was the old arbitrage where you ring a number and it would call, dial you back with US dial, phone, dial tone and you could save a bunch of money on your international calls. Anyway, it was just a great little business for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I ended up a 10 year run with MCI. That was my first big run in technology from 85 to 95. And MCI at the time was, as some of the people at the Wall Street Journal, Journal used to call it, 33,000 crazies. And they were 33,000 crazies. So that's where, that's where I got my basic education and how to be creative running a company. Hmm. What, was, what was this? Um, I keep hearing about the, uh, the deregulation. I think it was the late 80s or early 90s, something about deregulation of something what was that i'm sure you know what i'm talking about there, were a couple. there was the there was one in the late 60s which was about hardware because at&t um had a lock on the market for hardware on the at&t system before divestiture so there was an i forget the name of it now there was an initial decision that other people could create and sell hardware that could be used on at&t's network mm-hmm and then in MCI, Bill McGowan, who was the founder, was part of that. And then he sued AT&T to be able to compete with them because mm. at the time, AT&T, again, had a monopoly on the phone network in the country. And so he won that lawsuit. The, the original building on 17th Street in, in downtown Washington, that was MCI's headquarters, they called it a law firm with the antenna on the, on the roof. <laughs> Because they did so much legal work, but that decision was huge, and that opened up the door to competitive long distance and mm. telephone service. So he was he was quite the uh, quite the entrepreneur and quite the pioneer. Mm. So what was the big uh, what was the big seller back in the early nineties? Like, you know, I guess telephony or telecom or, or like what was it back then? Well, it was equal access. Um, so what they did, they took all the COs, which could only route calls through the AT&T network. Um, because, you know, originally in the late eighties, people would have to dial in a code to get, to get dial tone, to use a different network. Um, so the decree came down that the COs, the local COs had to create an environment of, um, equality between the long distance carriers, hmm. the local carrier would still have a monopoly on the local service, but the long distance carriers all went through a period called equal access. And I literally, as a sales guy, could walk into any customer and say, I can save you 50%. And hmm. they'd say, what about all those codes I have to dial? Well, you don't have to do that anymore. If you pick us as your long distance carrier, 
they'll switch the lines at the CO so that when you hit one for a long distance call, it goes to the to the long distance provider that you use. Hmm. It I made its way into residential as well. Yeah. There were a bunch of guys running around going, hey, why don't you change your home long distance to Sprint? Why don't you change it to somebody else? Oh, what do I need to do? Just fill out this form. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you can save 50%. 50%. Yeah, it's that easy. Have a good day. Yeah. yeah, all day long. I mean, I just have people sign that contract going, is this legal? <laughs> yes, it's legal. Trust me, it's legal. Hmm. But yeah, that was a great time. Those were those were fascinating times. That was back when MCI was the fastest growing company in the United States. Wow. Yeah. Where is what happened? So where is MCI now? They got bought by WorldCom. That's right. Okay. In the end of the nineties, WorldCom went belly up, and they got rescued by Verizon. So interesting. All the old legacy WorldCom and. Um, MCI people who are still around are part of Verizon now. Hmm. So when we talk about the good old days, this is probably going to lead into our later conversation, but I don't know. I, I hear a lot of partners say like, yeah, you know, some people will say those are the good old days, but I also hear it talked about as like, it was really the wild, wild west back then. You know, there was a lot of craziness going on. And if you don't know, you just think about what it meant to be, an agent back then versus like what it means today. It's so different, but like, what, what are some of the similarities do you think from back then to today? Either well, of you. Vic, you've got your best. How did you meet Steve Gerhardt's story? <clears throat> yeah. You know, Steve walked into my, and this is a great transition to talk about, you know, what's like then to today. Um, I was a head of technology at a smaller mortgage company and, um, receptionist called me and said, Hey, there's some guy here is here to see you. I don't have an appointment. Well, let me walk up front and see who this is. And uh, Steve stand there and say, Hey, I'm Steve Gerhardt. You know, I work for a company called Total Tell. Do you have, um, do you have uh, salespeople that you give calling cards? To? Yeah. How much do you pay? This is literally in the lobby. And I said, ah, I don't know, you know, 10, 11 cents. I don't remember exactly what it was. And he goes, ah, I, I save you a ton of money. Here, let me show you how this works. Reaches in his pocket. He's got a stack of calling cards. We walk over to the receptionist desk. Beep, 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 beep. Phone. Hey, look, connect. Works. Here, keep a couple of these. There's like 10 bucks each on them. And I said, you could really lower my rates by that much? Yeah, this is the rate. Here are the terms. This is the contract. They said, I have 120 salespeople. When can you bring me 120 cards? I said, tomorrow. Wow. And so he came the next day, brought 120 calling cards, and you know, we, we signed the deal and moved on. Uh, Years later, Steve made his way into the channel in 2001, uh, really finding more freedom and more um, product diversity rather than selling one particular product, being able to serve customers at a higher level. <clears throat> and I watched Steve, you know, as a customer of his from 2001 all the way up and through 2016. Uh, oh, sorry, right. There. Yeah, I was a customer of his. Um, I watched him have to grow the business, grow through product sets understand the transitions of the business, understand the, the nuances of the particular providers, who's got great technology, who's got great service, who's got great implementation, who can really get the big projects done. There's a lot, there's a lot to it. To be, a, to be a great agent, mm -hmm. you can't just sell and leave. You've got to really know these things and you have to be really up to speed. And now, you know, fast forward the tape to here we are in 2023, um, you have to really know technology can't just sell long distance or SIP or something like that anymore because your customers want more. They're getting very complex. They're getting very sophisticated in technology stack. The expectations of ROI are up, up, up. They always were up, but saving money was an easy pitch for people. Mm -hmm. Now we're in the conversation of optimizing their business, changing their OPEX expense base. You know, there's, there's so much more to it. So back then, save you money, give me your bills. That was the pitch. Mm -hmm. Jay, you probably heard it. Like, ah, the guy won't send me his bills. Oh, if he send me his bills, I'll show him how he's going to make money. I mean, save money. Now it's what moves the needle for your business. You've got to be business educated. You have to have a business first mindset. Um, and a lot of partners have made that transition. Some haven't. Some have built very formidable, long lasting books of business on carrier services. And it's a, it's a great business and you need the pipes and plumbing and the connectivity to make all the other stuff work. So um, by no means am I uh, 
looking down on folks who haven't transitioned to other products, but the opportunities of the future go beyond what they were back in the day. Yeah. Hmm. That's wild. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also like, you know, I've talked about this on a couple other episodes, but this idea of just, just the, the sheer level of abundance, you know, that like the abundance of technology, the abundance of options. Right. And we have this thing called the internet. So, you know, organizations can be like, you know, they're, they're probably so much more um, enamored with the the technical a- applications and aspects of these different solutions. So, you know, you're right. Like agents have to go in knowing so much more. But I wonder if that almost hamstrings some because they know like you can't know a lot about everything. You can only know a little about everything. So I wonder if like you go down this, you know, these rabbit holes of particular solutions. And then when the customer is like, well, what about this? They're like, well, I don't know. And then they just don't have that conversation at all because they don't know anything about it. And they're so used to being, you know, the smartest person in the room. And now, you know, so I don't know. It's just, it's so, I'm sure it's so hard as an agent, just keeping on top of everything. And there's, there's hundreds of, I mean, if you, if you just work with one TSD, you're working with like, or you have access to like 200 suppliers, 300 suppliers, and then, you know, work with a couple different TSDs. Now you've got, you know, <laughs> double that or whatever. So I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. The the abundance that we have on both sides, um, on the end user organization side, on the agent side. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. I'm just. Zach, this is where the ecosystem comes into yeah. play, you know, because I think that whether you you know call yourself a trusted advisor or you call yourself a partner or an agent, um, you don't need to know everything. You need to be a master facilitator. Now, you definitely need to be a couple pages ahead in the book, and you need to have a real awareness to uh, the, that abundance you talk about. But these, you know, the TSDs have formidable engineering and pre-sales. The providers themselves. Mm-hmm of formidable sales engineering capacity. So if you go out there and try to be as good on an engineering level as the resources that are around you, that's a losing proposition. You certainly, you, you're, you're better off to be an expert in the business speak. What can I do to create an efficiency to help drive your business to a place you're trying to get it to communicate on that level, then know the nuances that, and differences of everybody. And then, you know, with the resources through this fabulous ecosystem, lead them, be a leader, lead them to a, a place where they could make a great decision based upon data, not based on emotion, facts, good intuition. Now, for us, some of the lessons come with lumps. So maybe we did a deal with a particular provider and it didn't turn out to be the best match or there are a million reasons why the implementation didn't go well. And even if that went well, there are reasons why the customer may or may not be dissatisfied with production support or service they get after it. So I always say there are three components to the deal. It's how good is the tech and will it work and satisfy for my business? Can we implement it in a timely fashion with success in, in a change management environment that makes sense for the customer? And can I be supported in a way that I can continue to have that success? Often during the evaluation process, you don't get a peek into the second two. Mm-hmm. Only get a look into the one. So if I'm the CIO of a company, I've been CIO five times in various companies. Um, you get down, you make calls, you check references. You know, you, Sometimes you follow the herd. Oh, JP Morgan Chase is a customer. Must be great. You find out they're suffering a, you know, you know, they're suffering as much as the best of them. That's where agents can differentiate to really, you know, speak to other um, agents or other partners. Hey, how did it go with XYZ Co? What did you learn? And that's where these big community events come into play. And you share licks. And then sometimes, you know, you, you, you know you're going to take that next step and do due diligence and say, let me talk to four or five customers on behalf of my customer. I want to know how the implementation went. Now I want to know the support team. And you'll find out. There's an A team, there's a B team, there's a C team. When you got the A team, everybody was happy. Yeah. You got the B and C team, you're done. So I, I think, you know, the, to close that, this piece out, 
We have so many resources around us in this ecosystem to be successful if your eyes are open to them and you leverage them in a way to make you and your customers successful. Yeah. I think that's a, a bit of a recipe that I think, you know, we're not unique. I talk to the most successful partners out there. That's what they're doing. Yeah. That's what they're doing. And the ones that are taking a little bit longer to get to where they want to go, they want to do everything. Right. Cook, bottle washer, engineering, sales, post sales, taking calls at two o'clock in the morning from customers. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, I got that question, I think, more than any other question when I was running Intellisys for all those years. It says, what makes the best partners the best? And there were really a couple of things. One was they're determined, right? So the determination is a huge piece of it just to succeed. But the other one was niche. The more you niche, the better you do. Hmm. Doesn't mean you can't sell everything else because as Vic just explained, there's lots of resources at the TSDs and the carriers. You know, if you've got a good customer and that customer is well and interested and ready, you'll find the resources if it's not your cup of tea, if it's not something you really know well. But, you know, just because people need to understand, just because you niche doesn't mean that's all you do. You niche and that becomes your specialty. Mm -hmm. and people and customers get to know you because that's your specialty. You can still do all the other stuff, but it's just a lot easier to build a brand, a meaningful brand for a small company. If you admit right up front, you don't do everything. Right. Um, and so all of the most successful partners that, that we dealt with in Intellisys all had a uniqueness about their business. They brought something that was different than what the other guys brought, and they focused their time and energy talking about that with their customers. So the customers would say, wow, you really know your stuff. This is something I can use. Oh, by the way, can you help me with that or that? Sure, I yes. can. It's not my specialty, but I know how to get it done. Oh, okay. Hmm. So, um, from my perspective, over a couple of decades, that's that's part of the winning formula. Hey, I'll, I'll support Jay's speak there because as a former CIO and now on this side of the desk for seven years, people have to trust you to execute on their behalf. Yeah. And so if you have that niche or you have that high level of expertise in there and you get a win on the board for somebody, what do they inherently do for you? They trust you more. Yep. Hey, did you call so-and-so? Did you call Jay? Did you call Vic? Did you call Zach? You know, because they helped us with that last thing. And boy, that went really great. Then they call and say, hey, you know, I got this other thing. You guys do anything like mm. that? Now, of course, it's up to you to let them know that your ecosystem is expansive and that you can, you know, you have the opportunity to help them. But that that trust of that niche will open doors. Um, Steve tells the best story. We have a very, very big customer, near 40,000 employees that Steve landed probably 10, 11 years. Oh, I think it was longer. Might have been 2008. Um Still closing new business with them in new areas of technology today. Wow. Today started Potsline. <laughs> Would have been very easy for Steve to be pigeonholed as the Potsline guy. Yeah. But it has moved. The relationship has moved into other things. Why? One of the things Steve had to do with this customer is there was a big dispute with a major carrier. They weren't getting anywhere. Steve got them a half a million dollar credit in a week. They've been fighting for this for six months. Steve knew who to talk to. He knew who to speak to. Got all his ducks in a row. He knew they were legitimately owed this money and or credit. And he got it done. So now, boom, he's trusted. Now he's getting all the business in pots. Roll the tape forward to 2023. All these years later, the product set has expanded significantly. It's a, it's a marquee account for DNA. Mm -hmm. So what happens when... You do take this sort of niche approach and you're selling like one or two solutions that you know really, really well. So what happens then if those solutions end up sort of commoditized like certain solutions have over the years? Like how then, you know, how, how then do you shift? I mean, kind of like what you talked about with letting your customers know, but like when your business is built on these sort of foundational solution sets that you know really well, like how do you, how do you change course? And, and have you, I mean, I don't know, 
I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Well, you shift with the market. I mean, the, the, the easiest um, way to look at that is from some of the partners who have been around the longest, right? So they came into the industry at a time when they were selling long distance. There was no internet. So they were selling long distance calling cards. Maybe they'd happen on to a, you know, a little private line network, you know, something, something that would be relatively new for them, but it was pipes and plumbing. Well, then the internet came along and they just kind of morphed. They shifted into it. Um, and then every other product during the last 15 years that's come along, the, the, the smart guys know, I got I to gotta make this pivot. This is, the, this is the technology I'm banking on. And then over the course of a year or two or three, your story gets updated. It's not that you're changing your niche. You're just updating it. Mm. And all the really smart guys I saw that have been in the business for 25 or 30 years, that's exactly how they did it. Hmm. Interesting. I want to shift gears a little bit because I thought of something earlier. So since you guys both have done a lot of different things, I want to know how does one decide or maybe not decide, but like given the options that we have here in the channel, like TSD versus agent or partner versus supplier like how did you both decide like you know pick your journey sort of thing like what was going on in your minds to decide like i want to start a master agency or i want to be you know a partner or, or agent what have you like how does how do you decide that thank you jay well i think it's got i mean it's that's the kind of decision Zach you're referring to. That's like buying your first house, having your first kid. You know, all the big decisions in life are you rationalize and you come up with all the thoughts around it all. But you know, to pull the trigger, it's gut. And I think that's probably true to your question. You know, for 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 me, some of it was just luck. You know, I mean, when I came along and saw Rick and Rick. Building out Intellisys, you know, based on the feedback I had received in the marketplace about Intellisys and about Rick and Rick, I said, hey, there's some magic waiting to happen here. And that was my gut speaking to me saying, you know, if, if they bring me in to run this thing, because they were looking for somebody to build out a team so they could take their roles back a little bit and have a, a really solid team running the company and growing it. Because they came to the realization through some consultants they were working with that they weren't going to be able to do it on their own. And, you know, I happened to be lucky enough to be the guy that was in the room when that discussion was happening. And I said, hell yeah, this is, this is a, this is, this is a rocket ship waiting to go. Mm -hmm. And of course they were all excited at hearing that. In fact, first time we talked about it, they said, well, what would you want to do? And I said, well, I want to run the company. Mm -hmm. like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Cause they were still both heavily involved running the company. So they slept on it and put it under their pillow and, came back and said, well, yeah, I guess now that you say it, that's exactly what we're looking for. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I, I was kind of on audition for about three years running everything except the finance part of it. And then in 07, they said, okay, you're the guy. You've done everything right. You're the guy. So yeah, it, you're right. It's, you know, some of it is luck. Some of it is just happenstance and coincidence that you ended up in the right place at the right time. But for me, looking back, I would never have had as much fun anywhere except at a TSD mm. um, because I had the best of all worlds. I, I got to deal with the suppliers and, and build friendships with people I really love to death, even today. And then I got to get to know the partners, right? Mm. And I got to help them succeed and grow. Um, so for me, I can't imagine going back and doing it any other way. I mean, I did 10 years in MCI and it was good because it was a great company. But, you know, when you're in the supplier world, you got a number and every month, you know, you got to hit that number. And if it's a big public company, you got quarters and every quarter you got to hit that earnings per share. That can kind of tend to be a little bit of a grind. I mean, if you're doing it with good people, yeah, you can, you can have a good run. Um, but you know, and then on the partner side, you've got the pressure of running your own business, being an entrepreneur, but still having to deal with the books and make sure you everything is good. So there's some pressure there right in the middle, you get all of it. And that was the beauty for me. So I, I, 
I tell people, they say, how'd you end up at Intellisys? I'm like, I think I got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Do funny. Zach, for me, my, my journey was a little bit different. Um, coming out of the music business, I felt myself real fortunate to start working at big name companies. I worked at Lehman Brothers. Um, I worked for Bear Stearns during the, the crisis, which was the worst and best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, worst, obviously, because of, I thought it was a great company crash and the best because what I didn't know at the time, I was about to learn more in the next two years than I probably would in the next 20. Mm -hmm. Not only about business, but about myself, and my tenacity and how people win. And I met a lot of great people and Jay's met probably one of the greatest people I've met from Bear Stearns. He's an advisor now at Capteon. His name is Peter Cherisea. Um, Fantastic guy. Um, but I've always, and my dad would always tell me this as a little kid, that uh, I was the only one who took his advice. Hmm. He would say my brother had to learn things on his own. He had a very strong personality. And I would take his advice. What I realized later on that really was, and if you're a Anthony Robbins fan or anything like that, it's modeling success. Right. So even when I was at Lehman Brothers, I was modeling success. Oh, that guy wore a Brooks Brothers suit. Hey, he looks good. Hey, he's a managing director. I want to be a managing director. I'm going to buy a Brooks Brothers suit. Right. I took Jay is laughing because he knows that's my personality. Right. Oh, he doesn't wear white shirts and a tie. He's got a nice ensemble going. I'm going to do that. Well, you know, then you listen to the language they use and the things they focus on and and the areas, you know, where the rubber really meets the meets the roads. This isn't the, you know, just what suit you're wearing. There's a lot to modeling success. But the key came to me is when I moved to South Lake, Texas, I met a guy here in the neighborhood. His name is Kyle Eldred, who had worked for 16 years for the Koch brothers. And he was an M&A guy. And um, Kyle had only a couple of years prior bailed from that world and bought his own company mm -hmm. out in Frankston, Texas, called Frankston Packaging. At the time, they were just, you know, print, print stuff. They made boxes, you know. They might make this Sharpie box, mm -hmm. right? Millions of them. Or they might make the real high-end box that the iPhones come in. Not, not FedEx boxes and cardboard boxes, but real boutique mm -hmm. niche stuff. And then as our friendship blossomed, as time went on, I was in the group text amongst the neighborhood and I would get a text at Friday at noon and it'd say, Ginger Man, three o'clock. The Ginger Man was a microbrew, a little beer place mm -hmm. here. And I'd be like, what are these guys doing that they're, you know, sometimes it was two o'clock, one o'clock. Well, how do the, are these guys working? Like what is going on? And I started getting a lens into a life by design. Mm -hmm. So Kyle. Ran hard, fought hard, has built his company to significant places in the last 20 years. Um, but I was admiring the lifestyle. And I didn't know how to transition from what I was doing, being sort of on the, on the back of corporate America or them being on mine, depending on how you look at it, to being in this world of independence and freedom. Here's the connection, right? And... Um, I had a great event exiting a, a corporate uh, company in 2016 that afforded me some time, decided what I wanted to do next. And I was longing for this freedom. So Steve Gerhardt invited me to Channel Connect in Napa in 16, which is where I met Jay. Mm. But I saw this community that Jay speaks of, and I had no idea that it existed at the level it did. And I, Jay will shake his head and smile because I've tell us a hundred times people were laughing. They were smiling. They were happy. They were in control of their own destiny. Now it comes with the hole in the roof and the customer who's disappointed. And, and, you know, the calls at two, three of them, it comes with a lot of other stuff, but for the most part, it comes with a sense of satisfaction that if I work harder today and I close something great, it's because I crushed it. If I got my feet up on the beach or I'm swimming in the pool or sleeping late, yeah, that's on me too. If you have that personality where you long for this freedom, you long for the independence, no limits, the mantra of, of, of Intellis is of old. Um, if you long for that, this business provides all of that and the path for people to really round out their life and create a, you know, reap that sense of community and be in control of their life is a, is a very big deal. That's, 
that's what attracted me there. That's how I made the decision. And then to where we are now with Capteon, when everybody started trading and valuations of businesses were becoming apparent, we talked with everybody and finally just said, hey, if we want to do more work, much like you know my previous analogy, we could probably make a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. We have to invest money. We have to track the right people. We have to have the right model that's partner-centric, that makes sense for everybody. And so Capteon was born, you know, and um, our story at Capteon is a simple one. You know, the best is yet to come. Markets continue to heat up. If you follow Jay McBain from Canalis on on LinkedIn, you'll see, you know, the $4.7 trillion technology market, 70% partner, 90% partner plus partner assisted. Mm. Big announcement from the CEO of Microsoft. Diving deep into channels, even further doubling down. Dell, big deal. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, you know, back to the, you know, Jay's original point, everybody's doubling down on the channel. Why? We're, we're customer centric. We're solution centric. And it's interesting, you know, Jay mentioned hit your number, hit your number, hit your number. That's the typical sales grind. At DNM, we have no number that we strive for. We have a solution for a customer at the right deal, at the right price, with the right outcome. That's what we're focused on. And then the numbers take care of themselves. What's interesting? That's it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, one thing I think about a lot is like customer buying habits, right? So it's, it's very, interesting that the channel is just exploding and like you know the suppliers the vendors are just all in on the channel right but congruently to that you've got this whole consumer market that's changing the way they buy things i.e amazon right like when i buy something on amazon i don't generally ask my you know i i basically look at the anecdotal reviews right and that's how i make my decision so it's curious to me like the how those two things run in parallel like like how organizations aren't going straight to the vendor right they're they're sort of they're they're using this indirect channel and that's just continuing to explode and it's just it's an interesting kind of dichotomy well, I can tell you, I mean, at the same time that Amazon and marketplaces online were developing and growing and becoming more sophisticated, so were the partners. And that, that is one of the most interesting parts of my whole story. I mean, if I go back to when I took over Intellisys in January of 07, to the time I left in February of 2020, the level of sophistication in most of our top partners' businesses had quadrupled. Or more. I mean, they had gone out and spent real money on on engineering support, not only on their team, but also obviously through the TSDs and the suppliers. But those businesses really um, became much more sophisticated. And I always imagined myself sitting on Vic's side, on the client side, when some of these top partners would walk into the office and these guys are good. I mean, they know their stuff. They've got a good bedside manner. They're calm. They're thoughtful. Um, they just ooze with confidence. And, you know, if you go back to, you know, the mid 2000s, there was only a very small handful of partners like that. But fast forward to today, um, through the help that they've received from suppliers and TSDs, oh my God, you know, I would say, 50% or maybe even more of the channel is sophisticated enough to walk into a boardroom with a CIO and a CFO and outline a solution um, that brings confidence to those buyers. And um, part of it is a reflection of just education. I mean, that's what we did in Intellisys, right? That was our primary ad was education. So we would create opportunities for partners to educate themselves on new products and services when they came to market. Um, But um, at the same time, 
um, it's just the confidence and the shrewdness of these technology advisors and partners <clears throat> that, um, you know, it just truly became evident over the course of the last 10, 15 years. And yeah, I'd say half of them or more can walk into that boardroom, present a solution, um, you know, and impress the buyer with their knowledge and their, you know, their, yeah. their business. And bring a broad perspective, right, Jim? Yeah. You know, because it's not just the guy from AT&T or XYZ company singing for a supper. <clears throat> you get to go in there with that broad perspective and say, hey, we've done an analysis across the industry and across, you know, uh, verticals. This is what people in healthcare are using. This is what people in financial services are using. These are the top providers in those spaces. This is what we've done to whittle it down with your team. And by the way, we have no skin in the game when it comes to a particular provider. Because, you know, we're, we're, we work for you. Interesting. You know, I, when you mentioned marketplaces, I was thinking about the least expensive and the most expensive thing I've ever purchased from Amazon. And top of mind, the least expensive thing was probably 99 cents, some stupid little something for around the house. And the biggest thing I've ever bought on, on, on Amazon was a golf simulator brain. Hmm. It was called the SkyTrack Plus. It was 3300 Wow. Or on Amazon because I could return it. I've got good things. It works, right? But both of those things, the first piece was a no-brainer. Might have been a box of paper clips I needed. It's a paper clip. I don't need a Yelp review for that. The other piece, I've got YouTube. I've got all this stuff. People are unboxing, doing videos. But I have some, I have a bit of recourse. I've got a warranty. I've got 90 days unconditional to return it. It's not a life or death or not a career-ending decision. Right? So the marketplace, and if you start inserting technology solutions just generically into a marketplace where I select and click and I have no experience layered on, people are risking their jobs with these decisions. Yeah. They, you know, you go out and make a bad pick. I've seen, I've, I've replaced people hmm. who have made bad picks. The former CIO was bummed out because two big projects and 20 million bucks went bust. And they're like, we need a new CIO. And in comes Vic. Right? There's a number of times the, the, the roles I've taken were because the people before me, they could have done 50 things right. But the 51st thing that went upside down, that's the, you know, the, the blessing and the curse of a CIO. Next contestant, please. So I think partners, agents, you know, trusted advisors, we bring this, this other expertise and we also bring a little bit of resilience resiliency into the decision factor because if it doesn't go well at least the people in the company got to go we hired an outside you know we're an outside agency they had full spectrum like they're not in this alone we're in that most importantly we're going to fight to make it go well for them right. and we've been on enough of those front lines with them working real hard to to make that successful so i know people are really keen and and bullish on marketplaces and certainly, if you look at it as Amazon and even Walmart and Target all have the marketplaces for products, I think that's an easier sell. I still do think that the technology marketplace is going to be a way down the road. Mm. Now, for with generic licensing, like O365 licensing and things like, I got it. I need an office license. Click. Boom, boom, boom. But if I need Evolve IP DAS, that's, it's, it's too risky and too complicated to check from a Amazon cart, check it out, get a sheet to configure it and move on. You need a hundred DAZs. Right. Yeah. Do you guys remember That's when Cuban, Mark Cuban sold his company to whoever bought it? Yahoo. Yahoo. That's right. What was it? Broadcast.com. Was that his company? Yeah. Yeah. He sold his company. And then months later to um, validate the online e-commerce marketplaces, he bought his first jet online. Unbelievable. He's spent like $30 million on some sort of citation or something. I don't, I don't remember what he bought. He probably bought a Gulf Stream. But yeah, the, he, he gave it to the press and they ate it up like red meat. He's imagine like, imagine how sweaty your hand would be 
when you, you're getting ready to click the mouse button for $30 million. Yeah. Uh, Although, relatively speaking, you got $4.7 billion for the company. Yeah. So, you know, do, do the math. Do the math. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's like a $3,000 SkyTrack purchase. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. They made such like a big deal out of it at the time. He, it was a press event. And it was actually really smart PR. And yeah. he was trying to validate the e-commerce market saying, yeah, I just bought my jet online. I don't well, think the, he bought it on Amazon, but he bought it somewhere online. I was going to say, that been the, the difference is, Vic, that he can't take his jet over to UPS and be like, yeah, didn't work out. You know, yeah. <laughs> let me get my receipt. But even a bad jet <laughs> is worth 15 million if you bought it for 30 yeah. and when you have 4.7 billion yeah. you're dying for write-offs oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know um going back to serious mode but like do you think the agent community helps hedge against suppliers or vendors monopolizing the marketplace because there are they, because they bring multiple options to the table well, I, I can give you a little feedback about where we've been successful. One of the things I say all the time is, hey, you can call every one of these six companies by yourself. Yeah. You've just entered yourself into six individual sales cycles. You're going to get the emails, the texts, the calls, can, and then you're going to get all the offers at the end of a queue. But if you sign this contract today, this is the price. But one day later, you're not going to get it. And I understand all of those those forward-looking sales uh motivational tactics. But for us, I say, hey, here's the beauty of working with us. We're going to contact all the six companies. We're going to make sure we have all the right people on the phone, the A team, and not somebody who doesn't know the product. We're going to write a brief up and make sure they know exactly what you need and what's specific so you don't get a demo with something not relative and you are not going to be in a sales cycle. Hmm. They're going that, that feedback is going to come to us and we are going to deflect it. Hmm. So you're not going to have the burden of, of, of being hounded by people. And when I tell that story, because I've lived that, that other side of it, they're like, wow, you can do that for us? Oh, my gosh, that, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. they, love, they love that. They love it. Yeah, yeah so that's a lot of work for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, in fact, that's a really good, interesting question. I mean, in my lifetime, I saw a lot of that monopoly power, right? Because I was with MCI in the early days. I mean, it was kind of – I didn't get there until – they already had the right to compete, but I knew the history of the company and it had been a big deal during the time divestiture and breaking up the, the phone system, breaking up AT&T was all in the news every day. But, um, and then we went through a period about 10 years ago where a lot of the big carriers were writing checks. So it was harder for the CLEX and some of the competitive providers to compete with some of the two or three biggest guys because they were structuring their deals so that the CIO could collect a half a million dollar check when he signed the deal. And that was just upfront savings, right? They'd pay, they'd pay him the savings upfront because they had that kind of cash. Hmm. Um, but since then, honestly, I haven't seen any real attempts at monopolization. And I don't think um, because partly because there is a very strong and robust and growing channel. I don't know if we ever will. Really and truly. I mean, unless somebody comes up with something, some sort of technology that is just so breakthrough that they can limit access to it or something like that. Um, I just I don't I think the days of any type of monopoly are kind of behind us. I think the channel is part of the reason, but I, I just um, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. Again. OK. Um, I had another question. So it's sort of along the lines of private equity, maybe. I want to get your thoughts. So like in in the early days, there was Intellisys and there was, I don't know, what, one or two other TSDs, maybe? Um, yeah, I mean, there there were some we don't even remember anymore, but Microcorp. Yep. Karen and Brad down in Atlanta was a pretty big name at the time, CNSG, um, and those guys in the Carolinas, um, you know, Ted Schumann and Planet yep. One went around. Yep. Tolaris and Avant were really just getting started if you go that far back. Right. Um, I don't think Avant started until maybe 2010 or 11, something like that. Right. Um, 
So yeah, there was just a small, really a small cottage industry and just a handful of top master agents at the time. So was it the entrance of private equity that drove all these, call it, I've heard them referred to as super agents, but like small TSDs or mini masters, was it private equity that drove that? Or like, what was it that drove those, you know, larger agencies to, you know, kind of do their own thing? Um, It wasn't private equity because private equity equity really wasn't even in the game yet. Hmm. I mean, private private equity and not even officially private equity um, money came in with the Intellisys deal in 2016, right? So that was a strategic fire. And Intellisys negotiated a 12 and a half multiple, which people thought was crazy, right? At the time. Oh my God, how'd you get that? That's software multiple. Um, um, And then private equity kind of came into the market a couple, three years later. Um, But if you're looking pre Intellisys deal, I, I think it was that sophistication that I'm talking about. It's not only the partners became more sophisticated and improved on their business acumen as they grew their business, because you know you start talking about real dollars. You know, maybe in the early days a partner was making you know fifty grand a month, and he was like, "Oh my god, I'm rich. What am I going to do with all this?" Well, then you had partners that are making you know two hundred and fifty grand a month, mm-hmm. and. And they they realized that they have to hire people, they have to build a bigger company, um, and that resulted in so many masters, and that resulted in success. And that success transferred over to the DSDs because, you know, I mean, we had all kinds of crazy growth curves, especially with cable. Cable, I think Comcast came out with their product for, it was originally Telesis, Telerus, and Avant, I think were the three, um, where everybody had to go through those three. And that was a lesson in how to grow our business because we had to build a whole new practice. We knew nothing about cable. Mm-hmm. So we invested tons and tons of money and getting the right resources and built a whole practice around being able to distribute cable services. So yeah, I, I in my heart of hearts, I just think it's that sophistication. People saw an opportunity, right? Wanted to take advantage of it. Um, it went out and got the knowledge. I mean, every single cable education event that we did back in 2012, 13, 14 was packed. I mean, people didn't really want to cannibalize some of their other revenue and cable did that because it was cheaper and it was easier to get in and all that. Um, but they did it because they said, you know, I don't, I'm not really going to have a choice. I mean, this is a, if I'm a customer, this is a better selection. Um, they got to prove themselves still because they're <clears throat> they're new to the market. But um, yeah, when Comcast Business and Time Warner and all these guys came along, it, it made us grow up real fast, and it made a lot of our partners grow up real fast. Um, mm. So I just think it was the evolution of of the channel into something today that looks incredibly different than it did 15 years ago. These are real businesses that are investing real money into real resources. Um, and it's a bigger game than it used to be, you know? I think that's the key point, Jay, because there's some direct correlation. I mean, there's, you know, recurring revenue is not new per se. But as it started becoming more formidable at the PSD model and the agent community was became expansive, Jay, you know, you started the, the platinum program at Intellisys when you left. Just a short three years ago, there were 14 or 15, and now there are 40 some odd. You know? So, you know, if you tie this to what, what happened in, um, on the internet, subscription model, subscription model, subscription, and the valuation against software with subscription. So private equity is looking at strategic opportunities. So they see the size and scale of software companies with subscriptions. They go value that. They get into that game. But when the Intellisys deal happened at that particular multiple, I really think it was an eye-opener for private equity to go, wait a minute, it's recurring revenue, it's evergreen, let's start looking at the underwriting on average term of these contracts, let's look at this ecosystem, holy cows, 15, 20,000 you know, partners in this uh, ecosystem, and holy cow, the underwriting went from three to five to seven years on a product, and oh, the annual growth on product death in some cases is 90%. When I first got in the channel, 
One of your former leaders said to me, hey, for every dollar you install today, it's going to be a bill $1.40 next year. We were out of our minds. 40% uptick. We don't even have to sell. It's just going to continually grow. Now these products are 50, 60, 70, 90% growth. For every dollar we sell, it's a buck 90 next year. We're not the only one who's excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So private equity is it's a good, it's a good return for, for their investments, the massive return mm-hmm. in a in a place that it, ecosystem that's only getting bigger and more formidable. Sure. So what's next for Capteon? Hey, we're out there telling our story, Zach, and thanks for asking about that. Um Hey, listen, um, we're a small community. Uh, you know, when, when we're done with our community, we'll be 25 to 30 partners. Um, we're not a company that's looking for thousands and thousands. Uh, we think, you know, to quote one of the, the people that we've been talking to, we have the best math. Um, and we built the company for partners, and it was built by partners and by the guy who was most, most focused on partners, maybe in the history of the channel, uh, Jay Bradley which is what attracted Jay to come here. It's like, hey, this is a deal for them. Um, one of our advisors, Pete Cherisey, I told you about, somebody asked him at one of our events, why are you here? And he said, I love a win-win. This is a win-win. So we continue to talk to people. We've had hundreds of phone calls. We've got a number of LOIs in flight. Um, our model continues to sharpen. Uh, we're very, very partner-centric. And we're bullish on the future of what you're able to create. We think it's the third inning. And yeah, you might sell now and take some chips off the table, and that's fine. But if you believe, as both Jay and I and the rest of the team do, that channels are going up, products are going up, opportunities are going up, strategically in three to five years, we could help you double or triple the value of your business. So that's our story. We've got good math behind it. We've got a formidable team between legal and tax, all the biggest names you could possibly imagine, which I can't say on a podcast. Um, but the, the biggest names are involved. Uh, we've got a great team and we've got a lot of really uh, uh, active energy in, in getting people boarded into our space. So yeah. Jay, let you, let you wrap it up. Yeah. I mean, the end game is, is the true um, rainbow that you're chasing, right? You, you want to, you want to value your business when you do exit. You want to value your business at a maximum valuation, right? It's real simple. I mean, you start a business with the idea to sell it someday. And if you could sell it for one or two or three or four, fine. But if you could sell it for nine or 10 or 12 or for 15, great. And so at the end of the day, that's that's the primary driver and people get that. But one of the cool things that we have found in all these discussions we've had is, you know, we, we are going to build this community of like-minded people that still are going to run their own company, still are going to have the same lifestyle, still are going to receive the vast majority of their commissions, still are going to be the guys making iron firing decisions about how they run their company. They are still in charge and they're with a group of people that they like and they're you know pleased to be affiliated with and proud to be affiliated with, all working towards the goal of maximizing the valuation of their business. So what you hear, the hardest transition that a lot of the people who have sold had to make was they had a boss and you know these are partners these are not the perfect people to have a boss and you know life changed a little bit for them they were they were no longer kind of in charge of their own domain they were not you know living that identity that they had been living for 5 10 15 20 years as the president or owner of xyz company and it was a difficult transition for a lot of people you know, they they knew it was going to happen that way, but they made the decision and takes money off the table. So with the Capteon model, that's one of the biggest advantages we're finding and hearing directly from partners is, oh, we're going to build this holding company of like-minded partners that also don't want to have a boss. If they're going to have an exit strategy, you know, three or four years from now, they want to be able to run the kind of business they've been running all along because that's what made them successful in the first place. I don't want to get the money now lose my motivation and have a boss to report to for a smaller piece, you know, somewhere down the road. If I could keep doing what I'm doing, crushing it, keep building my business and then go out with a bang. Um, that sounds like a good model. And so a lot of, a lot of people that we talk to totally get it. And, um, you know, those are the fun conversations. I love it. And we're fully transparent about all the T's and C's. You know, if people went out to our website, www.capdeon.com, 
click the link that said double triple. Um, you'll see the high level summary. If you reach out to us, we walk you through entire model breakdown. We walk you through the entire terms breakdown. And, you know, and then we, we're not writing you like it's the end of the quarter. Um, you know, it's got to be right. And because our community is going to be small, we're as equally selective about who we engage as, as people are deciding to engage us. Uh, you know, uh, we have that uh, opportunity because, you know, people, there are some people waiting on the sideline going, I want to make sure there aren't any jerks. Right. Involved. You know, we want people with good reputations. And so we're, we're super excited about it. I feel like uh, we're going to deliver the most value for partners in the history of the channel. And it's a story we're sticking with. I love it. Well, it's been great. Um, I, I'm really excited for you guys. And I think you're you're doing amazing things. Um, I had a blast. I really appreciate you both coming on. I'm pretty sure we could go on for another hour and maybe we should schedule a second one, but um, I wish you both the very best and um, I hope we can do it again. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Zach. That was great. Really enjoyed All right. it. All right. Talk to you guys okay. later. Take care. Uh-huh. See ya. That's a wrap on this episode of the Channel Champions podcast. You can find this and all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, and stay inspired.